Again, good morning. Okay, let's try that again. You're still warming up, okay? So, good morning. I know, that's great. Hey, thanks for getting out. I know it's a little bit different. I looked down on the dash driving in of my car and the thermometer read seven degrees. And I don't remember the last time it was in single digits. So uh, it's great to see you even on a cold morning like this. If you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 3, the first book in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel chapter 3. We'll get there in a moment. And uh, by the way, as you're turning there, uh, I, I wanted just to take uh, a few seconds just to say thanks. If you were with us in December, you may recall one uh, week I just mentioned, hey, as we're coming to the end of the calendar year, I'm asking you to join me, to join my wife Rose and I and, and making an end of your contribution to our church or, or maybe for you to start uh, in getting involved financially in the life of our church if you're a part of our church community. So I just invited you to be a part of that. And now that we've kind of gone through the end of the year and moving into 2022, it's just become clear that many of you did that. You did that in, in large ways, in small ways. And so I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your partnership financially as uh, we finished that year and we are now moving into 2022. So just thank you. Thanks. Well, this morning, if, you, if you're new to our church, uh, glad to have you with us. We're in this series called Love This Book Part 3. It's part three because over the last couple of years in parts one and two, we've gone through the Old Testament. Now we're at the beginning of 2022 going through uh, the Gospels, going through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we'll be doing this through Easter. And uh, if you haven't already, again, just an encouragement. We've got a devotional guide that, can, that gets you into the scriptures that we're using several days a week. So you can come on Sunday, take notes, or kind of engage what we're doing on Sunday. Then there are a couple of questions set out over three days during the following week to work you through that text and just help you kind of engage what we are learning in this journey of, of who Jesus is and what it means to be a part of that journey. So, uh, again, if you haven't picked that up, I encourage you to do so. Also, um, as we have started this year, we've taken 21 days, three weeks early in this series, and really set aside these three weeks as a season of, of prayer and fasting. This came from some leadership conversations in, in our church. You know, we're beginning a new year. We're trying to figure out what the new normal looks like. Let's, let's commit this season uh, to God in prayer and fasting as we seek to engage this year and beyond well. And if you haven't been with us so far, uh, we also have a, a prayer guide that can uh, be useful to you during this 21 days. We're, we're now starting our second week of the 21 days. It talks a little bit about how we're going to pray. We're using a prayer of Paul, and I'll come back to that prayer at the end of the service. And, uh, but it also even has some uh, suggestions on fasting. And, and, you know, I just encourage you to take Monday with me and in some form fast. And, of course, the goal of fasting is not simply to kind of take something out of your life, whether that's food or social media or other things. It's, it's to do that in a way that you're, you're disrupting your schedule, to really till the soil, 
to a deeper openness to God and desire for what he wants to do in your life. So if you're able to do that, just encourage you to join me in that as well on Mondays. We have two more Mondays in that. And included in this guide are other ways that you can participate. You can sign up for text. We're posting daily prayers each morning that can encourage you as you start the day. They even have a Zoom prayer meeting this week on Wednesdays. Um, and I'd love for you to join me then. And again, information on how to do that is in this book. So we're coming now back to this journey through uh, the public ministry of Christ. And as, as the gospel writers really transition into the public ministry of Jesus, there's one particular individual who plays a pivotal role. And we know that individual as John the Baptist. Now, we, we looked at John the Baptist in, in the Christmas story, but now we're going to look at his public ministry. And here's one way that I like to think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry is a prequel to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, as, as we're going to see, you know, even as Matthew describes the ministry of John, John's a very colorful character, right? I mean, just a very interesting guy with a powerful message. Uh, But particularly as we look at his message, I I think it's important to see ways in which he is anticipating the ministry of Jesus. The ways in which he actually sets the stage for other scenes that we are going to see as we work our way through the Gospels. And what I want to do this morning is just highlight two themes from John's ministry, from his life, that I think really helps set the stage for other scenes that we're going to see as we continue working through the public ministry of Jesus. Now, to see these two themes, let's, let me just now begin to walk you through uh, Matthew's description of John's ministry at the beginning of Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. This is probably due east of Jerusalem and Many people came from Jerusalem to hear him. And he was preaching and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And again, there's this rather important verse in the gospels that really sets the stage for Jesus's ministry. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so uh, Matthew is presenting John as the fulfillment of this Old Testament Uh, prophecy, the one who comes in anticipation of Jesus. And then Matthew gives us a description kind of of John's own lifestyle. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, as you look at this, uh, just Think for me, before we continue reading, think for me, uh, think with me for a moment about why John gives us information, or or Matthew gives us information about John's clothing and his diet. Think about that because that's unusual in the Gospels to have this kind of information. And I know we read that and maybe your first thought is, "This this was an eccentric guy, right? Maybe that's your first thought or maybe you just think this was a crazy guy, I don't know. But I think there's a reason that John... John's description is given to us by Matthew. And that reason, I think, is this. Matthew wants us to see John as an Old Testament prophet. Right? He's, he's, already, he's already cited that reference from Isaiah that kind of gets in our mind the idea that there would be one coming who's going to anticipate the ministry of Jesus. 
And then he describes John's clothing and his diet. And to the astute listener, these, these descriptors bring to mind images of Old Testament prophets, particularly, particularly, I think, that great wilderness prophet, Elijah. And so in describing John with this kind of imagery that takes us back to the Old Testament, in describing John even by citing the Old Testament, what Matthew is doing is saying, look, those Old Testament promises, those Old Testament expectations are now being fulfilled. And I think even in reality, this was part of the reason that so many people were intrigued by John the Baptist. This is part of the reason that people apparently flocked to this out-of-the-way place in the wilderness to hear this guy's message. Because when when you heard about John, it, it just started stirring things in you, the expectations, well, maybe God could truly be at work. And, and when you heard about John, it evoked these memories of stories passed on in your family about the prophets of old and how God worked in the history of your nation. And maybe, just maybe, God could actually be doing that again. And maybe, just maybe, those great promises that you'd heard since you were a child are actually now being fulfilled. So Matthew shows us the link between John and Old Testament history. And I think in doing the case, in in doing this, he's building the case that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of these promises. He's building the case that the story of Jesus that he's going to tell us is part of a much bigger story. But, of course, not everyone would agree with that, right? Not everyone would accept John's message. And that includes some of the people that came out to the wilderness. Some came as curious. Others came as critics. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Wow. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. After acknowledging that not everyone will receive this message, John comes back to the theme of who Jesus is and and this scene concludes by John pointing out that The one who ultimately fulfills these promises is coming. So even as Matthew is preparing us for the ministry of Jesus, John is doing that as well. I mean, here's this guy. He's out in the desert. He's he's drawing these huge crowds. People are flocking, right? I mean, you know, in essence, we would say today, his ministry is going viral. And yet he says, look, I'm not the guy. But that guy is coming. So as John is preparing us for the ministry of Jesus, let's look at two themes I think we need to understand as we continue to work our way through Jesus' life and ministry. And these two themes come right at the beginning of this scene. They come in the very words of John the Baptist, where he says, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. And here's what I want you to see very simply is this. In essence, what John is saying, and this comes right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel is, look, there is a new reality at work. It is God's kingdom. And in light of that reality, if you truly understand this reality, here's how you need to respond. You need to repent. So let's just take a couple of minutes and and look at those two themes. First, look at this reality that John is announcing, right? The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Now, as you think about this reality, think about this question. What comes to your mind when you hear kingdom of heaven? I mean, when you read that, when I say that, what... What comes to your mind? And I, what I've discovered over the years is I think for many people, when we think about the kingdom of heaven, we think about the future. When we think about the kingdom of heaven, right? We, well, that's, you know, one day I'm going to die and go to be in the presence of, of Christ. And there's the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. That's the kingdom, right? That's the kingdom of heaven. Yet notice the full phrase, it's the kingdom of heaven has come near, has drawn near. And the idea is it's it's right here. So to simply think about the kingdom as, well, that's where you go when you die. That's that's to miss the point of of this announcement. And I think in missing the point of this announcement, ultimately you're going to miss the point of much of Jesus' teaching. So what exactly is John talking about? Well, to talk about God's kingdom is to speak about God's reign, to speak about God's rule. And as we're going to see, when you go through the public ministry of Jesus, the kingdom will be the central theme of his teaching. In some passages, it's described as the kingdom or the kingdom of God. At places in Matthew's gospel, it is also described as the kingdom of heaven. And I think that that descriptor of heaven highlights the fact that this, this is a kingdom that is different from earthly kingdoms. This is a kingdom unlike any to which you may be accustomed. Now I realize, and let's just be honest, you know, we, we just, I think we, we naturally have reservations about this imagery. One, it just seems weird because this, this isn't part of our everyday experience, right? We're a democracy, kingdom, we don't, you know, we don't even think in those terms. Furthermore, let's also acknowledge culturally we have probably a certain skepticism about kingdom and king because, after all, our country was founded by revolting against a king. But we need to understand this is a different sort of king and this is a different sort of kingdom. This king will establish his reign through the cross. He will inaugurate his reign by serving others. Now, because this kingdom is different, right? Because it's different from how we understand kingdoms. Because it can be different than how we think about power and how life works. Because it is different, we we need to be astute to the fact that, that we can overlook the fact that it's here. This was the problem for many of Jesus' contemporaries. You see, they had expectations of God's coming kingdom, but, but they thought the kingdom had to come in a particular way. For them, if the kingdom of God is really here, then that means the Roman occupiers are going to be kicked out. And because that was their expectation, because that was their understanding, they missed 
the reality that God's kingdom was now coming through this king, Jesus Christ. They missed what God was doing. And I think we need to be attuned to that because even as we can be critical, right, of the, Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees in this passage, there are ways in which we can make the very same mistakes. Among other things, we can become focused on building our own kingdoms, focused on our own agendas, that, that we don't comprehend the reality that God's kingdom is now here and it's now at work. Or we can look around, we look around culturally, even we look around, let's be honest, at times disappointments in church and church leaders, we look around and, and we kind of say, well, if God's really at work, that wouldn't be happening, that wouldn't be happening, therefore God must not be at work. And we can even question the presence of the kingdom of God simply reading the words of John the Baptist, Right? I mean, you see this powerful prophet. I mean, I think, you know, you just envision him, right, with this powerful personality out in the middle, out in the desert, and I can just envision people there, you know, they just hushed crowds because he's so powerful. And then, then he turns on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he speaks of the fact that God's true servant is coming with a Holy Spirit in fire, and he, he speaks anticipating God's judgment, and God is coming, and his winnowing fork is at hand, which is a symbol of judgment. We read those powerful words, and you almost want to, right, you read that, and you almost want to envision like a scene from the Lord of the Rings, right? Jesus on this white charger, sword drawn, followed by armies upon armies. We're ready for that at this point in Matthew's gospel. And what do we get? (laughs) We get a carpenter from Nazareth. Surrounded by a motley crew of disciples. Many of whom are fishermen. That doesn't really look like a kingdom, right? It doesn't look like a king. And I think this is why it's so important to understand exactly how the kingdom comes. Because first, the kingdom comes in the ministry of Jesus. And yet, yes, it's very unexpected. It's not how you would plan for the arrival of the king. Yet, even in that unexpected reality, there are signs, there are indicators of the power that he has as the coming king. We see him do miracles. We see him control nature. We see him exercise control over the demonic realm. We see him healing. And I think all of these are intended to be indicators. They were signs in Jesus' ministry that, the, you know what, the kingdom has come. But they weren't simply raw displays of power. They were signs that God was now invading this world of brokenness and sin. And I think when we really understand the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand it's a divine invasion. It's a divine invasion. Jesus even clues into this, right? There's a story that you can read in Matthew 12 where Jesus compares himself, right, to one who kind of goes into the house of the strong man and he binds the strong man. 
And what is he saying? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is now invading this broken world in which we live. He was invading the realm where Satan is at work to establish his kingdom. So the kingdom comes through Jesus. It is inaugurated through Jesus and the work of Jesus. It begins in the earthly ministry of Jesus, but it's not here in its final form. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But that awaits the future. So we need to understand the kingdom is both now and not yet. It has come through the earthly ministry of Jesus, but it has not come in its final form. However, even though it is not here in its final form, do not presume that the kingdom is not at work. Do not presume that God is not exercising his reign and expanding the realm in which he is at work. That was the theme, I think, of some of Jesus' parables, some of his teachings. Remember, he said, he said, you know what? The kingdom of heaven, it's like this little seed, right? It's like this little mustard seed that can, can, in essence, just fit into the crevice in the palm of your hand. Just a little seed, but yet when you plant it over time, it, it will eventually grow into this large plant. Or he says, the kingdom of heaven, it's like just a little bit of yeast, right? Just a little bit of yeast, and, and yet you have this huge batch of dough, but when you put the yeast in and you work it and you knead it over time, it eventually works its way <laughs> through the entire batch. A few days ago, uh, Rose and I were having... Uh, conversation with some friends, and in the course of that conversation, they talked about a family that all of us knew. And they just talked about how God was, was, was at work in the life of this family. A family that had a, you know, a very strong religious background, but didn't really understand who Jesus was. And, and now they're just signs that that's changing. And one of the members of the family has become a follower of Jesus, and and as we talked, we just, you know, it just looks like, well, God, wow, this, this is, God's at work here. And we don't think this is the end of the story, and we just celebrated that. And it's not anything that to the outsider might seem dramatic. It's just taking place over time in the context of relationships. And, and you could easily miss it, but the reality is the kingdom. The kingdom is slowly working its way through the dough the dough of that family. So in preparing for the ministry of Jesus, John says, look, you need to understand this new reality. You need to understand the kingdom of heaven is here. If if you'd like a a longer definition, I I would maybe describe it this way. I'm always debating, how do you you describe this? Here's one way to describe it. It's it's the invading rule of God over his people that accomplishes his plan of redemption and restoration. What is this kingdom we're talking about? It is the invading rule of God, right? Over his people as more and more come in to be a part of what he is doing that accomplishes his plan of redemption 
and restoration. It is that realm of God where even now his will is being done. Now realize at this point you, you might say, okay, George, I get it, I get it. John talks about the kingdom, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom, I've read the New Testament. But, but so what? I mean, it, maybe you'd say, look, I'm a really concrete person, George, this just seems really abstract, I don't really relate, and I get that. Maybe you would say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't really, I don't really get how understanding the kingdom makes that much of a difference. I don't get why this is such a big deal to John, why it's such a big deal to Jesus. Those are great questions. And so just briefly, let let me make this observation. Let me just give you one implication of the significance of understanding the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And that implication is this. I think as you understand the reality of the kingdom and the fact that the kingdom is now here, even though it's not here in its final form, as you understand that, you don't have to live a compartmentalized life. And here's what I mean by that. Maybe you would say, you know what, I get it. Jesus is my savior. I put my faith, my trust in him. I believe that. I believe that I, you know, I will one day be in his presence after death. But but George, sometimes I I have problems making the connections between Sunday and the rest of the week. I come to church, maybe I'm part of a group, you know, mid-sized group, live, love, lead group. And, and you know, we, I love that group and we pray together, we're an encouragement to one another. I, you know, I go, I go to that during the week, but the rest of the week, I, I don't always know how to, I don't know how the things connect. I get Jesus is my savior, but, you know, okay, so what difference does that make on Monday morning? And, and as a result, what happens is, and maybe this has happened to you, I think we end up, it's like we live our lives in boxes. There's kind of the God box. Jesus is my Savior box. I open that on a Sunday morning. I open that when I go to Live, Love, Lead group. And then, then I put that back on the shelf, and Monday I've got the work box. Or Monday I've got the school box. Or Monday, you know, I'm, I work from home. I do things at home, and that's, that's the box. And I kind of live out of that box for the rest of the week. And then I get to Sunday again and put the other boxes back on the shelf. And I open the God box. But my life's just different boxes. But you see, when, when I begin to understand the reality of this kingdom, and Jesus is going to unpack what that looks like for us as we go through, the, go through the, the life of Jesus, but as I begin to understand the reality of the kingdom of God, all of a sudden I realize I don't have to live in boxes anymore. Because all of my life now comes under the reign and rule of my king. And that includes my work, that includes my rest. That includes the restoration, the renewal, the play. That it just includes all the different dimensions. Don't have to be viewed in isolation. They're, they're all part of this bigger story of the kingdom of God. And, 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 and what I'm challenged to see then is, is as a participant in this new king, a kingdom, all of these different dimensions of my life, all of the different responsibilities are now to be lived in such a way that I reflect the values and the priorities of this kingdom. This is why, for instance, Paul can say, the Apostle Paul can say, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do. In other words, you don't have to live your life in boxes. Whatever you do, that's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. And you you do that by reflecting the values of your king. By approaching your different responsibilities with a sense that 
you know, I want, <laughs> I, I want to reflect the values of, of God's kingdom as I engage my work, my responsibilities, and my family. And as I reflect his character, as I reflect his love, as I reflect his justice, as I reflect his integrity in what I do, I'm, I'm living as part of the kingdom. I'm bringing glory to God. I think the kingdom of God and understanding that kingdom helps kind of bring the dimensions of our lives together in significant ways. So John says this, look, big idea. Number one, I want you to understand the kingdom of heaven is here. But then we get the second big idea. John says this, Because the kingdom is now here through the work of Christ, here's what you need to do. Here's the proper response. If you understood this, you would do this. And what is that? You would repent. That's the appropriate response. Now, again, let me ask you, kind of once again, so what comes to your mind when you hear repent? What comes to your mind when you hear repent? Maybe you think back, you know, as a kid, <laughs> that time you got caught, you dented the car with your bike, you broke a window, you, you know, I didn't give mom all the change back. And you, you remember that time where you got caught and you had to say you're sorry. Or maybe, maybe you think about being in a big city at times. It's like I heard this street preacher and he was down at the corner at this location in Chicago, New York City, and, you know, yelling, repent. And I just felt uncomfortable walking past and maybe even feel uncomfortable even as you, you kind of read the story of John the Baptist because he, John the Baptist kind of invokes those kind of images to you. To you. Or maybe you think about repent and say, well, that's, that's, that means you acknowledge when you mess up. It means you feel sorry when you did things wrong. And I think there's elements of truth in that. But notice once again, and I think we have to pay attention to this. John links repentance to the coming of the kingdom. And here's what I think, here's what I think he's getting at. Right? It's, here's this new, re, this new reign of God is now at work. It's, it's coming in ways we didn't expect, but it's already at work nonetheless. Therefore, what, what I need to do is, in my life, I need to reorient my life. I need to reevaluate, reevaluate my life in light of this new reality. And of course, in reorienting my life and in reevaluating my life, at times what that means is I've got to turn from something here so that I can reflect the values that are represented there. And in essence, John is saying this the kingdom of heaven has now invaded my little kingdom. My kingdom of self-sufficiency, my kingdom of self-centeredness, my desire to control, my desire to build my life on my terms and the lives of those around me. But I, I must now realize the ultimate kingdom, the true kingdom has now come. So, so instead of, of simply kind of desperately holding my grip on this, I I need to turn from this little kingdom so I can embrace the wonder 
of the kingdom of God. I need to relinquish this. I need to reorient my life to what God is now doing through Christ. I think that's what, I think that's what repentance, true repentance, ultimately does. It's not, just, it's not just a regret about the past, but it's a reorientation as I move into the future. It's a willingness to relinquish my little kingdom so that I can embrace the reality of the kingdom of God in different dimensions of my life. Maybe another way to think about it or a way to define it is this. It is the internal reorientation that produces outward results. Again, notice John talks about producing fruit that's consistent, that flows out of repentance. So repentance is this, it's, right, it's, this, it's, it's, it's this reorientation toward the reality of who God is and what he is doing in his kingdom. I think another way to think about that is this. Repentance is an act of surrender. Because the truth is, as the kingdom of God invades, the battle is now between my kingdom and his. And so John is saying, repent, surrender, reorient your life. And I realize surrender is a scary term. We don't typically use surrender in positive ways. But again, right? In this case, the, the reality is I need, to, I need to relinquish my little broken kingdom. My little broken attempts at self-sufficiency and self-focus and control. I need to kind of relinquish the ways I try to hold on to that so that I can embrace the wonder, the grandeur, the freedom, the renewal of God's kingdom. And in doing that, can experience the ongoing work of his grace, his restoration, his renewal. I mean, think along the lines of what you continue to read in Matthew's gospel. You go two chapters further, you begin the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with those statements of blessing, right? Blessed is the one. And, and the idea there is this is what human flourishing looks like. If you, if you will let go of your little kingdom and your little brokenness to embrace the bigger reality of what God is doing, you will experience the flourishing that only he can give. So in practical terms, what, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you? Well, first of all, if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ, you need to understand the journey of following Jesus begins with repentance, right? It begins by, by recognizing not only that, I think it's not simply that, well, I do things wrong from time to time, but it's to recognize our own self-centeredness our own inadequate desires to have our own little kingdoms. But also to realize that, that God, <laughs> through the work of Christ, is now addressing our need for forgiveness, renewal, and restoration. And we experience that by embracing the message of Jesus Christ, by entering into his kingdom. And the start is repentance, putting, recognizing that I, I need to reorient my life, that my, need, my life needs to be redirected away from myself so that I can embrace the wonder of God's work on my behalf. So I turn and 
reorient my life. I repent and believe. And if you have yet to begin that journey, we'd love to have that conversation with you about what that looks like and how you could put your faith and trust in Christ and begin the journey of following him. And encouraging you to do that, let me also just remind you of the warning that is embedded in John's experience in Matthew chapter 3. And the warning is this, if we do not accept God's kingdom as a gift of grace, one day we will experience it as an act of judgment. So if you're not yet a follower, the the reality of repentance begins by turning and starting this journey of following Jesus. But what about for those who've already begun the journey? I mean, is is repentance just kind of that one-shot deal that gets you into the path and then things are different from there? And I think the reality is no. Repentance is to be an ongoing part of the journey of following Jesus. Because... In an ongoing way, there there are situations and moments where I need to reorient my life, where I need to reevaluate my life and kind of come back to who God is and come back to the values embedded in his kingdom. So in a practical way, what does that look like? Well, I think among other things, it, it includes confession, which we did this morning intentionally, right? It includes acknowledging our sin and the ways in which we have sinned. But I think it also includes an openness to transformation. And here's what I mean by that, right? I think as Christians, often, you know, in prayer, we're praying for circumstances. We're praying for family things, financial things. We're praying for work things, health things. We're praying for all sorts of things as we come to God. And as as we... As we pray about situations and circumstances in our lives, in essence, we're praying for results, right? We're praying God would do certain things in our lives and the lives of people around us. But I think to incorporate repentance into our lives means I'm not simply praying for results. I'm also praying for renewal. Think for a moment about that, that, that powerful psalm in the Old Testament, right? David the king messes up big time. And, and, and his process of renewal and restoration is seen in Psalm 51. And on the one hand, there really, there is, it's, it's, there's profound confession, right? Create in me a clean heart. Cleanse me, God, from the guilt of what I've done. But then there's also that statement, and renew a steadfast spirit, right? And you see, that, that's not a prayer simply looking back, confessing sin. That's, that's a prayer of reorientation. It's a prayer for renewal. Father, now renew, renew me to the reality of who you are and what you are doing. So can I suggest, one of the ways you kind of incorporate, one of the, the ways this becomes tangible is you pray about different things in your life, different circumstances, different issues, different decisions. Don't simply pray for results, but... Pray for renewal, and by that, just open your, just open your life up in those situations to saying, God, if, if how I'm handling this, if how I'm thinking about this is, is in any way kind of moving away from your values and what you're doing, would you reorient me? Would you point that out to me? 
If in the course of praying for these things, there's something I need to let go of, in some sense I'm still holding on to my little kingdom in the midst of this, would you you reorient me? Would you redirect me in that way? And you see, that's, that's biblical repentance, right? It's, it's, it's being open to an internal reorientation that will produce outward results. We had a great time as a family being together, at least during part of, of the Christmas season. Now our sons are scattered, and we're actually in four time zones as a family, which is a different experience. And and, and if you talk to Rose and I, one of the things we tell you is we have specific things that, that we are praying for for each of our sons. And they're ongoing, ongoing things, just about next steps in their lives as young men. And so we're praying for those. And yet I'm having to come to grips at times that, you know, not only do I need to pray for results, I, just, I also need to be open to renewal. Because in this season of being a dad, I'm... I'm having to come to grips. I don't, I don't have the same control that I used to have. and At times that's hard. I'm having to become open to, at times, other people are speaking into their lives into the ways I used to do that, but that's a good thing and can be a good thing. And so I'm having, right, I'm having to learn not only, okay, even as I pray for, for them, that Father, as, as I'm seeking to be they're dead. If there, there's still ways, I'm kind of holding on to the brokenness of not doing this well, which is kind of continue to reorient my life to how I can engage this season in a manner that reflects your character and your values. So don't just pray for, don't just pray for results. Just be open to, and in the midst of this, God, help, help renew me. And help guide my thinking and my actions in a way that reflect who you are and the values of your kingdom. And I think at times the truth is going to be, you just may be convicted. Hey, there's, there's, there's part of this old little kingdom I need to let go of. But as you do that, that's, that's the journey of repentance. And John said, that's, that's the journey you need to take because this new reality is here. And in many ways, this, this message of John the Baptist actually leads us back to this season of prayer that we're in. As we started this season of prayer last week, we, we're, we're kind of using a, we're using a prayer of the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians to pray for us and pray for our church. And I want to come back to that now as we close. And, and here's how I think John's message kind of leads into this. Because, you see, in encouraging us to a life of, of repentance and renewal, I think what John is also doing is, in essence, encouraging us to pursue wisdom. Right? To encourage us to seek to align our steps, our decisions, our choices with the values of the kingdom. And the truth is, the journey of repentance is, is, is also the per- journey of the pursuit of wisdom. And this is kind of how Paul prays. If you recall last week, we, we were praying for unity. We've been praying for unity in our church. As, as the Apostle Paul talked in verse 9 of this chapter about, you know, your love growing more and more. That, and it, it's rooted in knowledge and depth of insight. It's rooted in the gospel. And, and Paul then says, and, 
And as you grow in the gospel, as you're more rooted in the gospel, here's the desired outcome that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And in his own way, Paul is saying, look, I'm praying that as you understand the reality of the gospel and even the reality of this kingdom, that that your life would be reoriented to the values and the priorities of this kingdom so that you can discern well how to take next steps. And this week, as we spend time, and I want to encourage you to join me, just spending time in prayer for our church and for our community. This is what we're praying for. We're praying for wisdom. And the the road of wisdom is really also the road of repentance, to reorient, reevaluate, so that in new and different ways, our lives reflect the priorities, the values, of this kingdom that is now here. So I want to invite you to join me in doing that this week. Again, if you didn't pick up the prayer guide to do so on your way out. But right now, I just want to, I want to pray for us and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because some of you here, maybe you're facing decisions or situations where, you know what, it feels like there's no good answer. And in the midst of that, you're needing to discern what is best. Maybe you're here and it's kind of like there's some new opportunity in your life and there seem to be multiple good choices in terms of how to do that or how to engage this or this new job and do do I take that job or do I continue in my old, you know, and you're kind of, you're wrestling again with what's the wise thing to do and, and you need discernment. Likewise for us as a church, right? It's, it's a new year, but not only is it new year, it's like we're coming to grips with what this new normal looks like. And in the midst of what the new normal looks like, what does it look like to live out our mission and how do we do that well? So with that in mind, let's pray together. Gracious God, this morning we've looked at the kind of the powerful ministry of John the Baptist in this provocative statement that we are to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Father, I pray that 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 reality, even though we may be very familiar with it, would would just grip us again. The reality that your reign is already at work and you're inviting us to be a part of that. And so for Father, for some of us, maybe coming to grips with that may also challenge us in, in areas where we're still trying to hold on to our little kingdoms and all of their brokenness. And Father, therefore, the invitation is to repent, to reorient, to reevaluate our lives so that we're moving in a different direction. And I pray we'd be open to your work, the work of your spirit. And along similar lines, the Apostle Paul is praying that our knowledge of, of the good news, really our knowledge of the kingdom would grow so that we're able to discern what's best. And that we would be blameless in the day of Christ. And, and Father, I pray, I know there's some of us here that, that we are facing, we're facing some stuff maybe in our families and our work or different things going on and it just feels like there's no good option. But yet in the midst of that, I pray that, that you would just come alongside your spirit and just give us guidance and okay, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this messiness, what does it look like to reflect the values of this kingdom that's already at work? Likewise, I know others of us, maybe we're here and we've got some new opportunities or we've got multiple opportunities and there seem to be multiple good options before us and we're just kind of figuring out, okay, therefore, what do I do? And again, I pray that you would just give us wisdom and and the, the freedom of your kingdom to be at work in those decisions 
so that more and more we reflect who you are. And Father, I also pray for us as a church in, in this new season, in this new year. I pray that as a church, we could just continue to embrace with discernment the opportunities that you're giving us. And I pray if in different ways you're, you're shaking loose the ways we've perhaps been holding on to our own little kingdoms, I pray that we'd be willing to release that. And so, Father, we thank you that your kingdom is now at work. And may we be people who are now aligning our allegiance to that kingdom. And I pray these in the name of the one who makes that possible, Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us this morning. And, you know, even as we've been thinking about kind of what, what that journey of realignment looks like, if we, could, if we could pray with you about that, we're going to have members of our prayer team that are going to be here at the front. And uh, we'd love to pray with you. And, uh, again, encourage you to continue as part of the 21 days of prayer and also to continue as part of this journey through the life of Jesus. And now as you go, hear John's words again. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Amen.